welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. episode 93 of the proper mental podcast my guest this week is joe taylor who is the founder of the wave project which is a surf charity that harnesses the power of the ocean to improve the mental health of children and young people joe started the wave project back in september 2010 and at that time it was the world's first surf therapy course that was funded by a government health service and they now have 32 beaches and locations across the UK where they run surf therapy programs. And they've got 6,000 plus volunteer surf mentors that deliver this life-changing surf therapy sessions every single day. And it was really cool to hear all about it. It's something very different. Um, surf therapy is, is growing now, right? You start to hear more and more about it, but I think it's still pretty pretty specialist. You know, it's, uh, it's still a long way from the mainstream. And it was just wonderful to hear from Joe and hear about how it all started, how it came together, how we got it off the ground and then how it's grown we go for all that sort of stuff we have a look at the process how people come in contact with the wave project how they get referred and then how they go from referral to the beach and what happens after that we talk about the process of getting volunteers involved and the sort of the training and everything that happens around that and we talk about the sessions the surfing sessions on the beach and of course that covers nature and the sea and environment and all that stuff and um yeah it's just wonderful joe's been doing this a long time that gives him great insight not only into surf therapy but into kind of the mental health conversation in general and it was great to chat to him and to pick his brains about a few things if you'd like to support the wave project if you'd like to donate if you'd like to volunteer if you'd like to buy a t-shirt if you would like to know more you can go to their website waveproject.co.uk or at waveprojectuk on all social media platforms also as a side note somewhere back around episode 30 35 ish somewhere around there you think i would have checked that when you and prepped it for this intro but somewhere around those numbers i talked to a guy called mikey kitteruth and he's got a clothing brand called radical Radical Clothing UK, and that's like a surf, skate, snowboard brand that has a strong focus on mental health. And every purchase you make from Radical, they actually donate a certain percentage of that to the Wave Project. And that's how I first heard about them through chatting to Mikey. And that's a really good episode. You can go back to that as well. Mikey's got a great story. He's got a great brand. He's doing wonderful things. And of course, if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to propermentalpodcast.com and send me an email or you can catch me on social media at propermentalpodcast. Feel free to screenshot this episode when you're listening, tag me in it, tag the Wave Project in it, help me spread the word. That'd be amazing. And if you have two seconds to rate, to review, to subscribe, to do all of that great stuff, it really would be appreciated. Anyhow, this is episode 93 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Joe Taylor from The Wave Project. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of The Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Mr. Joe Taylor. How are you, mate? 
Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you, um, Tom. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good indeed. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining me, Joe. I, um, I really appreciate your time today. No worries. Cool. So I thought the best place to start, and I always start like this, if I've got someone on from an organisation, is how do you sum up uh, the WAVE project when you meet someone at a social occasion and they say, what do you what do you do for a living? How to, what's your soundbite for it, mate? I say uh, I'm, I work for a charity called The Wave Project and they generally say, oh, that sounds interesting. And then it's usually followed by, um, is that something to do with power generation? You know, or, um, <laughs> sometimes people have heard of the charity, in which case um, they say, oh, it's something to do with surfing, isn't it? And I say, yes. Um, so we're, but basically we're a surf charity and we use surfing, mentoring, and lots of group hugs and high fives and that kind of thing on the beach to boost the well-being of children and young people. And it's important to say that we're a, uh, we're very much focused on a kind of a group intervention. So you know, it's it's a, a type of group therapy really. Except we do it in the sea and learning to surf together. Yeah, that's what we do. And that's it. Yeah. So this um the concept of yeah. like surf therapy is that something that had been around for a while that you guys kind of you know moved forward with or is that something you started or where's where does this concept of surf therapy come from well i think there was a couple of different organizations that started up around the same time i mean we've going back we've been going about 12 years um when we started there wasn't really anything called surf therapy in fact i remember we got turned down for funding once because they the funder said we couldn't call it therapy so that gives you a bit of a feel for what the landscape was like back then but i think things have moved now and People recognise, funders recognise, the NHS recognises that therapy uh, can mean lots of different things to different people. And anything that, you know, makes people feel better and is therapeutic is, is a form of therapy. So we're comfortable with using the term surf therapy. I think other some other organisations internationally see it more as being a kind of a, a form of inclusive surfing. I think, mean, you know, uh, surf therapy is... A kind of an umbrella term that's hung on quite a lot of different things but for us it means a therapeutic experience in the surf or in and around surfing yeah sure I think that's, that's really interesting to me because I think with a lot of things that are good for our mental well-being our mental health or or whatever really we can know almost anecdotally that these things are good for us, right? We can experience ourselves. We can see it in other people. But when it comes to maybe getting some funding or to making it more official or to growing it, it can be very difficult to get that funding if we can't quantify it. And was that, was sounded, you kind of touched on it briefly before, but was that quite difficult when you started off is sort of saying like, we know this thing works. How do we show that it works so we can get some money to do more of it? Well, funnily enough, it was actually kind of the other way around for us a little bit. Um, we originally started out as a pilot scheme, as a lot of uh, a lot of things do in the, in the charity sector, and we had some funding uh, from the NHS. So we we started out and um, we had um, a bit of funding from the NHS, and they were very keen from the very beginning, actually, that we provided some kind of evidence base, to, really, to justify the funding they gave us. It was only a small grant, but. So from the very first pilot scheme, they were quite insistent that we did at least a pre, like a baseline survey and some kind of post-intervention survey with the young people we worked with. So from the start, we were quite focused on evidencing the effectiveness of surf therapy. And I think the charity, The Wave Project, has done two things really since then. One is delivering the, um, the inter- intervention, delivering the courses, delivering surf therapy, but also gathering evidence for it. So every time we take someone in the water, we're trying to measure the impact 
of surf therapy on them. And so over the last 12 years, you know, we've had around uh, 5,000 case studies of mainly children and young people, although in some cases young adults, who've uh, we've looked at how they feel about themselves before they go surfing with us and how they feel afterwards. And we're able to measure that over quite a big data set. So that's why we're fairly confident, we're very confident that uh, the intervention works really well. Yeah, sure. We've got data... Sorry. No, no, not at all. It's um, I was just wondering if the data collected early on, if that did that go on to form like uh, things like making decisions about which age groups that you were going to work with, or did that sort of play a part in setting the the structure for what you do now? That's a really interesting question. Yes and no, I'd say. So the age group that we piloted was eight to twenty one. That was in uh, our first pilot scheme. Though most of the participants on that particular pilot were older young people they were probably I think the youngest was 11 but most of them were older adolescents kind of 14 15 going up to some late teenagers and people in their early 20s and initially I thought that's where we would focus um, was the kind of older cohort you know older teenagers and uh, young adults but then when we started to roll out the intervention more widely we tend we found we got more referrals from schools and the average age of referral got younger and younger then found that we were getting much far more referrals from primary age children and I don't know if that was because it was just more something that primary schools were willing to refer to and um, but now we've kind of come full circle again and we now have some specific funding for that whole young adult cohort uh, in fact, we're doing some work this year with a, a charitable trust called the Inox Foundation, who have funded some work specifically for young adults aged 16 to 24. Um, and they're quite interested in us drilling down a bit more deeply into what works for that, that cohort, because we've just ended up working so much more with younger children. Yeah. Um, but I think the, probably the consistent, uh, the consistent age group has been around the young adolescents around 12 to 14 has been pretty consistent throughout the whole time we've been doing the wave project that's always been a really popular um referral age group for the wave project yeah sure i, I suppose the um the, like the the therapy and the the community aspects and all the things that i'm sure we're going to talk about shortly i suppose that they would work for any age group really and it's the depending on the age group is how that is delivered right by the people that are delivering the sessions i suppose that would be the the biggest change but the stuff that's being delivered would ultimately be very very similar right i think that's possibly true i think um for us we're quite interested in change we're interested in measuring we want to see you know, a measurable change in the, the well-being, the confidence, the self-esteem, um, you know, the outlook of the young people we're working with. I think that's perhaps harder to discern in older, in, in, in adults and older people. You don't necessarily see the change as quickly. That's certainly been our experience. I, don't, I think there's probably other organisations that might dispute that. But for us, surf therapy seems to be most effective in children and young people. You see a, a real measurable and tangible change in their outlook their confidence their social skills their ability you know their perception of themselves their self-esteem all of these things change very noticeably and very in a on a surf therapy course and so in a way it's kind of interesting to kind of start to work again with young adults and just really try and try and understand how can we ensure that young adults benefit in the same kind of positive way that's not to say that 
older people and older adults wouldn't also benefit from certain therapy. I'm sure they would, but as a charity, we're, we don't have the evidence for that. Perhaps other organisations might have. So how do... Um... How do people begin the, the journey to, um, to come and work with you guys? You mentioned being referred from schools. Does that tend to be the, the main place that these people are, uh, are sent to you from? It's certainly one of them, yeah. Um, schools are a big... Ref- uh, we have referral partners, um, and they are organisations who, with whom we sign a service agreement. So it's all quite formally done. There's a, a formal partnership between us and each referral partner. And we've got about 600 referral partners around the UK. I'd say probably about a third of those are schools or uh, multi-academy trusts. Um, But um, around a third are local authority services of one sort or another. And then maybe a third are uh, other services, NHS services, individual GP GP practices, doctors, uh, psychiatric services, uh, and other charities in some cases. You know, we work with um, uh, partner charities working with children and young people. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really interesting, actually, that they're coming through the um, more, I suppose, what are seen as more the traditional route, right? So through the GP or through those sorts of services, because I sometimes think that with, um, you know, we hear about, you know, uh, green prescribing and we hear about these things and it's almost they're a bit of what I'd call like a Kentucky fried mice, right? So we all know someone who knows someone who has heard about green prescribing, but it's not maybe something that we see see as often you know it's almost a bit of a myth until a couple of years ago but it's great to hear that more and more because we've got to have options you know I think that's the, the thing of looking after people's mental health is that there needs to be something for it's definitely not one size fit all hey so there has to be all these different things available for people to try and say does this work for me is this going to benefit me or should I try something else and I think it's like wonderful that people can get referred through a GP or through you know come to you guys through that way I think that's really um really interesting that that's going on out there because I think maybe people wouldn't realize that it was I think. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting because I think the the conceptual idea of green prescribing has been around for quite a long time. I mean, there was a, a psychologist called Michael De Pledge, who is a professor of psychology. I think he, he was at the University of Exeter, but he may not be anymore. He was the guy who created the concept of the green gym uh, and um, the idea that combining exercise and um, being in the outdoors has these wonderful positive effects on your mental health. So you do quite a lot of research on that. And that was picked up by other researchers as well. The University of Plymouth, I think, was quite a big player in trying to develop that in terms of the blue, what's known as the blue gym concept, same principle, but in the water. So swimming, outdoor swimming, uh, you know, but in in an outdoor environment, open water swimming. The surf therapy concept builds on that. But there's one thing actually having the conceptual idea and it's another thing actually having uh, properly funded services that can provide these things safely and in a, in a, a really well-managed and well-supervised way. And I think the voluntary sectors try to pick up the mantle. I know certainly the wave projects, you know, we try to do everything to a high standard of quality and, you know, you know with um, really good um, safety and safeguarding procedures and, you know, good training for all of our mentors and all of that kind of stuff so we're that that end of the spectrum and i think there's another end which is kind of more voluntary groups kind of who just you know who who meet up and it's kind of more sort of self-directed support and that's all really valid as well but again it's it's, it's finding out that these things can be difficult and for i mean the reason we work in a in in, in terms of referral partnerships is because we want to make sure that we're targeting our resources again to the people who are most in need because we, you know we can't support we haven't got the resources to support 
everyone through therapy, therapy, much as we'd love to be able to do that. So we've got to try and fo- focus on the young people who really need our help most. And then more recently, we've had this whole concept of social prescribing that the NHS now supports um, and is trying to create some infrastructure around. So there's all that, that going on as well. So it's kind of but knitting all these things together is quite a task. And, um, you know, we, we I mean, I would say we need it requires some focused attention from the government really to kind of make this work really well to, you know to really pull together all of these these different things in a coherent whole yeah sure at some point yeah well you know <laughs> that's probably a, a whole different conversation right but yeah. i suppose that again that's where that we're collecting that data and collecting that evidence i suppose that's where that really comes in because then you can you know present that to the people who can make the big decisions in theory and can you know um you know yeah make these things more commonplace and put that that cash injection in and say well this is what it's doing right this is how it helps this is the data speaks for itself i was what um so when these uh these young people get referred joe what kind of happens then so the referral comes in and then they, they allocate it to their nearest you know wave project or um how does how does that sort of roll from there so the referral comes in and um yeah, that's right we uh, put that young person onto the next course we have available in their local area so we have 16 programs around the uk in different different coastal areas uh, from Cornwall up to Fife in Scotland, you know, and um, most places in between. Um, and each of those projects runs supports around between sort of 60 to 80 young people a year uh, because each of those young people needs to have their own mentor uh, and, they need to, and our courses run for a minimum of six weeks. So each young person gets quite a lot of input from us. And then we also run a surf club, which is runs after the course finishes if they want to carry on working with us so yeah um that's so we're, we're limited to about 60 to 80 young people uh, a year roughly in each area so we work with about a thousand children per year so we try to um manage referrals in such a way that when the when the referrals made we try and support that young person within a few months of the referral if possible but um we don't always achieve that, but we do We do our best. Yeah. Um, so they're allocated to the project. Then we contact them and we contact their family and let them know that and um, start a relationship with them, start that process of getting to know that young person, finding out a bit more about them, understanding what they need. In parallel to that, whilst that's going on, we're training up our volunteer mentors to be able to work effectively with these young people. Um, and then we all get together on the beach and we then we pair up the young person with a mentor who we think could be suitable for them. And those two people work together within this small group over the over a six-week course, so they get to know each other. And that whole relationship building piece is really, really important to what we do. Um, the surfing is one thing, but it's actually the building those relationships with your mentor, with uh, other people in the group, is where the real mental health benefits seem to come from. That kind of whole culture of support that is created around these young people combined with the fun of surfing and all of these kind of blue gym, green gym concepts, um, working together as a kind of triple acting, um, uh, you know, um, thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah right a, word, really. No, um, no, I know exactly what you're being Yeah. It's, it's quite often the way, isn't it, that we have this thing is good for a lot of reasons, but then it's all the stuff within that that can really make the difference. And that's the, 
you know, so we have this umbrella term of surf therapy, but like you say, the, the, the mentoring, the outdoors, the process is, is just as important mm. as anything. Yeah. That's, um, mm-hmm. how do the, um, so the volunteers, they, um, I assume they have to go through some sort of like training or stuff. How do they get to the point where getting in touch for you and saying, Oh, I'd like to have a go. How do they work through to getting paired mm-hmm. with, um, with a young person? So um, I'm obviously going to do the basics of, um, you know, DBS checking and all that kind of stuff, just to make sure that they are who they say they are and, uh, you know, all of that kind of thing. That's the initial step. But generally speaking, I would say nine volunteers out of 10 who want to come forward and become a surf mentor and willing to give up their Saturday morning to stand in the kind of cold wind on the beach helping uh, another person tend to be really good people. And, um, you know, our mentors are generally amazing people, you know, very giving, kind uh, and actually quite cool they're often quite young people you know who love surfing love being outside and want to give some of their time and give something back to the these young people and so actually they've already done quite a lot of the work for us in terms of the training we, we, we encourage them to be themselves and say you know look, you know, we're not here to turn you into a certain type of person you know you be, be yourself but we give them some training around safeguarding and around just understanding our clients really and just does some basic do's and don'ts we've actually found that quite a light touch training program works quite well um, we don't necessarily need to overtrain them we, you know something about working in a group people can work with each other and support each other in that group not necessarily overly training them i think works quite well but we do do some training around water safety as well and just making sure they're confident in the water and able to kind of push a surfboard into a wave without um you know wiping the poor child out is is, you know you know it's a bit part of the basic training understanding what to do when if a child is upset or distressed in the water um we emphasize uh not 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 pushing them faster than they want to go you know um uh, if a child doesn't want to get in the water, they don't have to get in. You know, we're very much there for them, and there as a as a buddy, really, as a kind of a mate, as a sort of a friend. We're there to help, not there to get them to do anything. We're not surf coaches who are there driving them into the waves. You know, saying, "Right, you're going to stand up on the next wave, and you know you've got to do it, otherwise you're no good." That's not really our approach at all. You know, if a young person wants to just sit and talk or build a sandcastle or dig a hole in the sand or you know splash around in shallow water or go for a swim they can do those things you know we're not we're not pushing them the thing we emphasize is praising them for everything they do so everything they do achieve you know we remind our volunteers that you know for these young people just simply turning up might have been quite a big step for them and um so looking for those opportunities just to say you know well done that's brilliant that's amazing you're doing really well um and not really comparing them to other people in the group. So, you know, if one child is catching a barrel and kind of, you know, surfing the line and doing a great, you know, great job from a surfing perspective, and another child is struggling to get into their wetsuit, you know, we say that both of those children have done amazing, you know, that day, because it might be that a child's struggling to get into their wetsuit for them. That's, you know, in terms of their emotional state is a big deal. They're, they're trying to overcome their own challenge. So we're not there to measure their surfing ability. That's not we're not a surf school in that sense, or a surf coach in that sense. Although we do have surf coaches there, obviously, for to, to help learn how to surf and to be safe. But so there's a kind of a leveling element to the wave project in that everyone does well. We don't we don't have any no one fails on our sessions. We you know they all succeed, and we look for what they have achieved rather than uh, what they should achieve. If you if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah sure. So that that approach is kind of what defines the charity, really, mm. um, and, and that's our theory of change: is that you know you 
give these you, you praise the young people for what they have achieved you know and um and uh, and then that's it and then you know and um you know we've worked with young people who you know on a six-week course might only actually get on a surfboard and catch a wave for the first time on week six of that six weeks you know it takes the, the previous five weeks just to kind of build up to that point um, and that's absolutely fine we're not you know we're not there to rush them or you know it's about what they can do and then the whole group dynamic is that uh, everyone else in the group is there to say well done you know um every, every time you know um so uh, whether it's catching a great wave or just getting into the water for the first time you know one of my most emotional memories of the wave projects you know um a couple of years in i remember this girl i was working with who who did only get in on that that sixth session she was a child who was had very low self-esteem quite poor body image she had you know took a really quite bad view of herself and thought that no one liked her and all this sort of stuff and um he had a, um, a mild learning disability as well and it took her that six weeks to get in i remember that on on that sixth session when she did finally get on her surfboard and she was sitting kind of astride it rather than in the prone position because she didn't want to be face down on the board and she kind of surfed this wave in just sort of sitting like you would on a horse you know kind of going in on this wave and everyone cheered you know through the whole group round of applause everyone stopped what they were doing because they knew that for her you know how much it meant to get to that point um and we'd all watched as she'd kind of overcome her own doubts in herself you know over that time so that's what we try and bring to these young people's lives yeah um, i mean just hearing you talk about it uh, then and break it down a bit you can just it you can just hear how important that would be for a young person how healing that would be and i think we're in this culture aren't we if we never stop to kind of pat ourselves on the back for the small things that we do you know when something good happens when something bad happens you'll beat yourself up for a week and something good happens and we just kind of like skip it and and move on but i'm such a big fan of of stacking up these little wins and you stack up enough small wins and they become a, a big one and to to use that to to prove that little voice right because when people are struggling it's that negative voice isn't it that just picks away and picks away and sometimes you just have to to prove that wrong but in a very very subtle way and have um to be kind of guided through that and, and to take that approach that just sounds l- lovely you know it's just a lovely approach to to life right not just surfing but to to life in general if we went through life like that i think it would um absolutely it'd be very nice i think the other part is there's a tendency, I think, in, in modern life to feel that you've always got to strive for the next big win, you know, the, the, you know, and I think almost from birth, you know, you're kind of measured and you're, you're assessed and you're, you're sort of, um, you're told you've got to reach this next milestone. And, and sometimes I think, you know, it is quite difficult just to take take a step back and think, actually, what, what have I achieved already? You know, what, what have I done so far? What have I done today that's actually good? And there's, you know, and if you think about it that way, you know, you've achieved a lot more than you realise. And I think especially for children, I think they, they forget how much they've already achieved. So I think it's trying to kind of reverse that thinking a little bit about you've got to be able to uh, and start thinking about, you know, what have I done uh, already that's, that I can just feel good about, um, you know. And when you start thinking that way, actually, you do feel better about yourself. And that's what raises self-esteem. The, the kids we work with, you know, tend to have low self-esteem, high anxiety. And it's heartbreaking, you know, to hear them uh, to talk about themselves or read their baseline surveys, you know, about what they think about themselves, you know, this this kind of very negative, you know, um, they don't feel like they've ever achieved anything. And actually, of course they have, you know, um, they're walking around, they're talking, they can 
you know, communicate, they can eat a meal, they can, you know, do all sorts of things they couldn't have done when they were toddlers or babies or, yeah. you know. Yeah, very much that so. Sense. So look at it in a different way, I, I guess, yeah. is on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got small children and something that I always try and I can't remember where I read it and something I always try and remind myself of is that a, a child's job is to be a child. Its job is not to be growing up towards being an adult. That is not the end goal of childhood is not to become an adult. The goal of childhood is just to be a child. Right. And to just, you know, like and I think, yeah, just allowing that to happen is a really, really powerful thing when we get in this habit of you know it's all about starting school and then it's all about starting the next year and then it's all and it's all this just push to turn 18 and become a grown-up and that's not what children are supposed to do right it's just not the it's not the not the thing yeah but I love that idea of using the surfing it sounds like the surfing is a mechanism to like provide all this all this other other stuff and um what are some of the other things joe that you've noticed and i know this is a very very big question here i'm asking i can't really think of a way on my toes to ask it smaller but what are some of the other things that do you think are important in your in your system in what you guys do is it you know being a part of nature does that have an impact you know you've mentioned the the relationships with the mentors and the positivity what else comes alongside that that maybe isn't necessarily surfing but is other things that factor into these big potential lifestyle changes uh, are you asking um, what are the other kind of components that sort yeah. of feed into, you know, those changes? That's a much better way of saying it, yes. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, well, I mean, as I say, I think the whole kind of green gym, blue gym theory is very real. And, you know, uh, there's been loads of evidence to support it, you know, especially the whole idea of being in and around water. I think there's lots of evidence around how that can lift uh, depression and low mood um uh you know there was i was on a thing uh, I'm, I'm doing some work with um defra at the moment and uh, the environment agency about trying to understand the benefits of water and i did a webinar last week actually with uh, uh wallace nichols i don't know that you know him but he's the guy who wrote blue minds the book all about how water can affect the mind he's a really interesting um academic to talk about this whole you know but there's, there's tons of research now available he'd be a good subject for your podcast actually Tom I just wrote um, his name down <laughs> yeah tons of tons of research I and mean, it's growing all the time that actually being in, in nature but particularly in and around the water is so so good for you and so good for your mental health and it lifts your mood and it it just switches bits of your brain that's not to say that you know we can spend all our whole lives around water but I think you know there is that whole idea of water therapy is very real swimming being outside being in nature you know being in a natural pool and just getting into it and immersing yourself in it and there's more and more research so I think that's obviously part of what we do and it's an important component to help i think there's something i mean i haven't really done any research on this myself but there's certainly something around mood and um and nature and water that is clear you know um if you're in a bad mood and you go for a walk in the woods then you know on the beach or in the countryside or your favorite kind of nature natural place the park it lifts your mood i mean almost straight away you know and quite why that is i couldn't tell you but there is quite a lot of evidence that it does um both anecdotal and you know, data, data-driven evidence. So that's a component definitely of our work at the Wave Project. But I think the whole piece around social relationships and the social element of what we do, being around other people, being around supportive people who are just there to help in a very non-judgmental and non-competitive way is really key. I mean, I'm a great lover of sport and believe 
strongly in the, the benefits in general of sport for young people. I think that especially team sports, I think are really good for young people. And I do a bit of football coaching in my spare time and uh, love it. And, you know, it's great working with children around those kind of sporting um, teams. But I think it is also competitive. That's the slight problem when it comes to mental health. So young people with mental health issues or very low self-image or who aren't good at sport, you know, they struggle with being in team sports. They don't think they're any good and they're letting the team down. So actually it can be quite counterproductive for them to be thrust into a, a team, even though there are the benefits there of being in that team, but only if they feel like they're valued in the team, if they've got a status in the team then it's great for them. But if they feel that they're dragging the team down or letting them down or no one likes them or wants them to be there, then it has the opposite effect. So one of the beauties of surfing is that it's non-competitive. I mean, obviously there are surfing competitions and stuff, but the way we do surfing is it's non-competitive and we emphasise that it doesn't matter how well you do going surfing. Uh, it's, you're not letting anyone down if you don't, you know, your goals are your own goals. Um, and that's very made very visible to them when they get on their wetsuit and look at the water and look at the surf. They're not really bothered about what anyone else is doing. They're just thinking, gosh, you know, what, what am I going to do here? You know, am I going to drown? Am I going to get you know, stomped on by this big wave? Uh, am I going to be able to stay on my surfboard? They're immediately quite focused in on their own goals. And so it has this very helpful, the sea has a very helpful quality in zoning you into it and uh, making you very mindful of, the, of, of it um, all on its own. So we don't have to do anything there. Um, we almost don't have to say to them, don't worry about what anyone else is doing because no one is worrying about that anyway. So that whole mindful quality of it is really important. It's all idea. Um, there's a guy called Sam Bleakley, actually, who's written a book about surfing and mindfulness. It's really interesting about how it, it draws you in and makes you very much live in the present. Um, he knows a lot more about that than I do, but I you know, have seen it on our sessions how... I remember this one kid I was working with who had, I think, kind of mild autism or ADHD type kind of um, symptoms. So he's very talkative. His brain was flying around all over the place and dipping in and out, all sorts of different things. But as soon as we got in the water, it was actually quite easy to get him focused on looking for that next wave coming in and saying, right, no, look over the horizon, watch it, and then start paddling. And if you don't do that, you're going to get knocked off your surfboard. So like, you know... Uh, you know it's quite an easy sell you know? <laughs> yeah. and he did you know he started to just focus on the water on the rhythm on the, you know the, the rhythm of the waves you almost don't have to do very much to be able to kind of be quite a good teacher around you know mindfulness calmness you know, awareness of yourself and then just say hey well done you caught that wave as a sort of way of validating that young person's achievements and so actually anyone can do that and you know so anyone can be a mentor for us who's willing to just give these young people a bit of their time and um, it's actually really quite easy you know and it's, it works quite well it's the relationship between you the young person and the sea and the surfing all is quite harmonious and quite quite easy to make work even in conditions that aren't always that great yeah. even when it's quite windy or blown out or do you surf tom you i surf? don't mate no i live near no. the sea i always have done but i don't surf no oh what a shame maybe you should yeah but maybe i, mean, I um, should yeah. i mean you're selling it <laughs> um but you know even when it's but you know if you do have a surf you probably go in and it's not these kind of turquoise kind of clean waves it's probably going to be more like in britain it's going to be more like wind swell you know shore dump you know kind of the waves can knock you over and challenge you quite a bit and it can be all a bit kind of <laughs> a bit off-putting when you first get in there but actually when you get over that 
it's just fun, you know, and it can be fun. And I mean, that's a huge part of the mental health conversation. I don't think it's mentioned enough. It's like, um, you know, having fun. And for a lot of um, particularly young people who are experiencing um, something, it can almost be an element of they're having to grow up a little bit fast. But, you know, you take a, a group mm-hmm. of young people, a group of kids down to the beach and they automatically will resort back to, you know, like splashing and laughing and being children again. And just a combination of that and, you know, the sort of mindful yeah. element you're talking about before, I think it would probably come as a relief. I think for children who have been on high alert for whatever reason for a long time, just to be able to kind of just yeah, kids yeah. and to breathe and, and relax a little bit, you know, it sounds, sounds really powerful, really powerful. Another thing I heard recently, actually, which is really quite interesting is um, we don't, we did some training with the team actually on de-escalation because sometimes we do get children getting into very heightened and anxious states on the beach for different reasons. So some training around that and the trainer was talking to us about the whole idea of personal space you know, and the, the, the fact that, you know, crowding someone's personal space creates anxiety and makes them more um, likely to, you know, freak out. <laughs> and it made me actually realise for the first time, even though I've been doing this for you know, 16 years now, you know, that actually the sea and the surfing creates that natural personal space barrier. You know, you've got one of our uh, stu- one of our students is now one of our ambassadors mentioned this recently in an interview she did you know when you're on that surfboard and you're surrounded by the water you've almost got that kind of natural barrier around you that kind of locks you into a safe space so that idea of you know fun and safety are two things that are quite difficult to reconcile um but actually surfing gives you both if you get if you get it right or surf therapy does anyway the, the actual surfing is really fun but it's safe you know you're in this safe group um and you've got this sort of safe space within the sea you feel protected so it's kind of almost unique in that in, a, in its ability <clears throat> to combine those two really crucial elements to um you know an improvement of positive well-being <clears throat> yeah yeah no that Sorry. does sound um that does sound lovely yeah really um mm. really lovely yeah so what was your what was your route into this joe were you a surfer before the wave project is that is that your background or what was your journey into it well, not really a surfer. I wouldn't go. That's too strong a word. Um, I mean, I had surfed a bit um, and enjoyed it, and kind of, you know. Um, uh, but um, no, I, I. Well, I. Um, so actually, I. Uh, I trained as a journalist of, of all things, and um, when I was, I did my journalism training in Cornwall. I did. I came to Cornwall to do a postgrad in, in journalism. I thought it sounded like a really quite a cushy gig, really doing a postgrad in Cornwall, like. Just, and I started doing a bit of surfing while I was on my postgrad, you know, just, just casually, you know, getting in occasionally. A couple of the other guys I was living with surfed and they took me out for the first. I was actually 24 when I first got on the surfboard, so I actually came to it quite late, um, relative to people in Cornwall anyway. But, um, and you know, yeah, I loved it, you know, loved being in the water. But it wasn't really actually till a few years later that I started doing, started drifting more into kind of, I, I always wanted to work in the charity sector and started, I basically launched my own, a company doing like charity PR um, and I came across this guy who was trying to launch a surf school for people with disabilities and I thought as you know as a client in this I'll, uh, I'll get to know this guy and I ended up realizing you know this guy had no money uh, no there's no way he could actually pay me as a as a client but I, I liked the idea anyway so just agreed to help him launches his um, his surf school for, for kids with disabilities and that's what kind of drew me in was working with him and you know we parted ways later but um you know that's my first experience really of this whole 
the joy of what surfing can bring. And that, it started out actually working mainly with children with autism and learning disabilities. That was my first kind of foray into it. That was back in, this was back in 2006. So we're going back some time now, you know, um, you know, 16 years. But, um, and it was a few years after that, that I came up with the idea of exploring this a bit further. You know, could it be a, used as a mental health intervention? Could, could, could it be more of a, a thing? Could it be, could, could this be actually a way that, you know, I, was just, I suppose I was just sitting there reflecting that, Surely getting some of these young people who are, you know, struggling just into the water would be good for them. That was a sort of simple concept, really. Had no evidence for that. There was no nothing to sort of, but it just seemed like a good idea at the time. And because I've been doing this disability surfing project, I had a few contacts with commissioners in the NHS and stuff. And I was able to just leverage, you know, pull a few strings and leverage a few, get a set of a few couple of meetings and wangle some money out of them. So, yeah, I kind of got it, got it off the ground that way. And then that first pilot scheme we ran, the one I mentioned to you earlier, we had a slightly older cohort. Um, it was so amazing. I mean, like the transformation in these young people is just really clear, both from working with them and seeing it happen on, you know, over the weeks, but also from these pre and post surveys we did, you know, the, 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 it was just getting those surveys back and just hearing them explain in their own words what it meant to them. It was just, it was really obvious that there was, there was a there was something in this, but at that, that, that time I didn't really know what that was, and it took a few more years to understand it better and understand some of the kind of neurobiology of the brain and how it works and some of these green and blue gym concepts and how that impacts you know on on develop on, on brain development. One big breakthrough for me was the um, you know the uh, World Happiness Report that comes out every year from the UN. Mm. They did this edition um, in 2015, I think it was on the neuroscience of happiness. I read that and I found it fascinating because it, it, it showed that your, your brain can become a lot happier and more, it's, it's positive psychology really, but it can, you know, you can increase your capacity in a, uh, for happiness. Being happy is something you can train your brain to do, it said. And it can, that can be done in a very short time. So simple things like you were just saying earlier, Tom, these kind of simple reminders of trying to get more of a, a positive uh, I've forgotten a bit of the brain that it's called, but th th there's a bit that kind of uh, replicates that information for you. And, you know, it, acting on that to kind of try and start thinking more positively about yourself can change your brain's neurobiology, especially in children where your brain's much more plastic. So um, that's, that was, I thought that was amazing because I'd, I'd sort of seen this happen over the, uh, you know, over six weeks, time and time and time again, different children, different settings, different parts of the country. And here was this report saying, actually, this is why it's happening. This is what's going on. And it was just a bit of a light bulb moment for me, really. I thought, well, this, this is it. You know, we've, we were onto something here. This is, this is the proof, you know, that actually um, this is a thing. We've got to do more of it. We've got to try and get this out there. So since that 2015 report, last sort of six, seven years, I've been just trying to kind of get more surf therapy out there and more people doing it. And yeah, still am. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I always think that's a really, um, really important thing to talk about when I talk to anyone who's working in the charity sector or any in supporting organisations is because it's really, really easy to maybe see uh, a clip of the Wave Project on the news or go on your website and read all about it. And um, but it's like it's a grind isn't it to keep these things going and to for things to grow it's not just a case of you like start an organization we always look at the finished product but there's a lot that goes on on the scenes to sort of um yeah to expand and to take it to other places and i suppose that you know that's um yeah there's a lot to think about there isn't it yeah and that's an interesting word actually the grind i think um and you know i think this is unfortunately what can happen you know is you can get bogged down with the grind and forget that actually 
And essentially all, all we're doing as a charity is trying to create um, joyful experiences for young people so that their brains can have better, greater capacity for that joy and thereby have a better life, have a more joyful, happier life. And that's really important. And you can get bogged down with the day-to-day challenges of fundraising and, you know, finance and all of that kind of stuff. And these, you know, these are important things, obviously, but like, you know, we're trying to create capacity for joy and it's important to remind ourselves of that. I think every now and again. Yeah, yeah. There's a sort of a weird thing there of everyone behind the scenes being um, stressed and frustrated, trying to grow things. The kind of great joyful experience for someone else. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So, oh, is that the um, yeah. is that the plan going forward then, Joe? Is you just can continue into kind of um, you know maybe uh, you know keep expanding and keep providing these you know these joyful experiences? I think so. I mean, in, overall, yes. I think though we're trying to find ways of doing that that can. I think it's becoming clearer that some uh, there are some types of children and some conditions, if you like, that require one type of approach that I think is more intensive and probably involves more kind of paid staff time. Some that are kind of more at the sort of mid-level, which, you know, where volunteer mentors can really be the best and most effective way of lifting these young people and helping them to really thrive. And they're also now experimenting and exploring. We're actually working with Uh, Sport England to think about ways we can uh, outsource a curriculum into schools so that we can get more of a light touch impact um, and but reach more young people so this is a project I'm working on at the moment we're hoping to say more about this towards the end of the year we're just developing um, this curriculum now and we're hoping to be able to just really roll that out through the school system so that teachers can take some of the, the learning and it gets back to what we talked about right at the beginning of the call we know the theory it's about how do we deploy this and get more young people accessing it. As a, as a charity, we are not going to be able to reach every young person in the country with our own team, even if we do work with volunteers and train them and everything. It's just never going to, we're never going to have the resources to do it, but schools can. If we can find a way that we can help them to work better, so that's something I'm working on at the moment. So. Oh, exciting time space. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, Joe, well, thank you so much for your time today, mate. I've loved you. No worries, yeah. Thank you so much. all about it. It's been wonderful. And um, yeah, I love what you guys do. I always think that when when people are poorly, and I experience this this, uh, myself, you know, all this podcast comes from my own lived experience, but you tend to only know what's out there after you need it and we sometimes think that there's only like a couple of options and it's just wonderful that there's something for everyone that there's so many different things out there for people to to do and i think um yeah what you guys do is just a lovely lovely option for people and but yeah thank you for your time today mate i really really appreciate it it's been a pleasure cheers Cheers, thank you mental podcast please like and subscribe the space time